is waiting on fries. That you don't get it. You don't. What do you mean you don't get waiting on fries? Hopefully the customer never hears waiting on fries. But all this time on the entree and it's perfectly executed, and then you're it's like, ready Fuck, to go. I forgot to fire the fries. I just always use that when I forgot to put somebody's order in, and I was like, hey, I'm just waiting on the fries. It's gonna be two more minutes. Realistically, I come back 10 minutes with the food. Exactly. <laughs> they just know that their food's not there in the service, so they're still waiting on fries. I guess we're just waiting on fries. <laughs> What's up, squad? Before we get started, make sure you remember NewYorkPrimeBeef.com and use the promo code FRIES15 for 15% of your order. Go get yourself some nice steak. Get your favorite person in your life, whether it be your lady or your best friend or just a second helping for you. Get some beautiful steaks, get some crab cakes, get a nice sampler. NewYorkPrimeBeef.com, fries 15, gets you 15% off. No shit. I mean, we've been telling you this, so. Cool. 200 bucks free shipping, right? As long as you order 200 bucks yep. worth of... Orders over $200, get free shipping. And if you're worried about the $200, just do it. Get the free shipping, throw it in the freezer. It'll be good in a, a little while. You won't regret it. Yeah, I'm the only guy that doesn't fill his freezer with things, and you guys laugh at me all the time. Well, I don't. I'm not gonna put it. I'll eat it when when it comes. Yeah, I, that's what I do. I go shopping for the meat, and I get the meat, and I cook it right there. You go I shopping don't put it in the every freezer. single day, every day. It's like I feel like it's the freshest when I just pull it from the deli counters, right? But now you don't even fresh. have to do that. You just do NewYorkPrimeBeef.com, use code Fries15, and then you got a good deal going on. Right to your door. You don't Boom. even have to go to the store. Say no more. Uh, I'm glad we're all caught up here. We all got to watch Restaurant Hustle finally, and I didn't get to watch it the first day because cable is now a thing. Well, cable TV is a thing. We don't have it. I'm a cord cutter, and I'm proud of it. Discovery Plus is out now. Discovery Plus is out. That's not how I watched it, though. Uh, I did get to watch it on Hulu Live TV, right? With the commercials? Yeah, there was a lot of commercials. (laughs) Yeah. But sure enough, sure, Discovery Plus is out. It's actually out now on Discovery Plus, which is cool. They actually have the most amount of content amongst any streaming platform out there, which is huge to be able to even that say. That says a lot, yeah. We're in a huge war. But just, you know, you were part of Restaurant Hustle. You know, Christian came in here with the cameras while you were helping out deliver some pizzas. I saw the pizza scene throughout, throughout the thing where they were getting pizzas all over the place. You didn't see Justin on it. Though. Yeah, No, but we know what happened. Like, it was we know what happened during that time yeah. period. So uh, you got to really kind of live part of that to some extent while this man was running around crazy, like documenting his life every two seconds while still trying to help out in the middle of a pandemic. Well, I think that's the whole point of the documentary is that we all got to live a little part of that. And that just highlighted, you know, it highlighted the full uh, Christian, Marcus, Manit, and Antonia highlighted their experience. But if you're in the restaurant industry, we all lived through that. It was... uh, you know, needless to say, it really brought back some, I'm a short-term memory guy. It brought back a lot of thought of going back through those pieces of time where we were just like, fuck, what do we do? Just like laying on a couch, like shit. I actually shed three tears and babe looked at me crazy and she was like, are you okay? We, we lived this. And I was like, I'm an emotional guy. Let me live. All right. <laughs> to be honest, I had forgotten some, some parts of it because it just feels so long ago. Now it's like 10 months and things have changed a little bit. But watching it does help bring you back to those like feelings, of being which is not some place I wanted to go back to. But no. yeah, but it, it was good to go back there a little bit. But it was good, and I'm I glad. In perspective, you know, I said in one of the monologues, I'm glad that people got to kind of see the stuff that we or our industry had to deal with day in or day out. Although I will say this, I thought that they they didn't get deep enough into like the real shit. 
Do you think that was in just conserving time or thinking that the general population wouldn't be interested in seeing the real shit? I think it was to save the general population from seeing a lot of... Yeah, I think some of the real, real, real hard stuff might have been a little too much. Because by my my take, a lot of people felt like that was really dramatic. And like you said, like a little little gut-wrenching, a little, a little teary-eyed and, and whatever i mean so, it was yeah but yeah, that's but, that's like a brief look compared to yeah. actually living through that months and months and months of feeling like that like you didn't really ever see the conversation where someone was forced with actually having to close their doors and that that's a true thing i mean that would have ended their segment on restaurant hustle also though at that <laughs> point and we wouldn't <laughs> right. have the show to watch good point but there were a lot of parts too where Everyone went through the same things, and we've essentially been able to document this whole thing through the podcast, through all the episodes over the last year that we've had, too, where, you know, we talked to all these guys that started to do pivots that were essentially the exact same type pivots that everyone was doing throughout this show. So it shows that, I guess, the power of being able to see what everyone else is doing through social media, where, you know, Paul Pax did the pasta kits ready to go, right? Uh, other guys were shifting how they did takeout menu items as well and doing packs for families where they wouldn't normally have, like, here's a thing that feeds four people and it's 65 bucks, right? Like, so a lot of them were doing things like that. Yep. Yeah. But if you want to talk about functional pivots, our guy, Mogan Anthony, who we're talking to later on today, had made a pretty functional pivot during the pandemic. Oh, with the Olo bands. Exactly. You know, you, you see problems and you figure out how to solve them. And one of those problems, of course, is the fact that you need antibacterial soap. What's it called? Sanitizer. San- yeah, sanitizer. Sorry. Uh, sanitizer. <laughs> and if you need to find it, it's just already on your wrist because you're wearing it. Thanks to the Olo band. So, yeah, we'll talk to Chef Mogan about that in a little bit, too. And I don't know, you know, they kind of left the restaurant hustle open to this to be continued as if things are still being recorded throughout the rest of this time. They did. And I'm, I'm excited about that because they left off kind of in September and it, in September, it looked like everything was getting better. And we were kind of through the shit. Right. But then November happened. And December, and we're kind of back into a little bit of a, of a downturn. Yeah. So, you know, I'd like to see that part covered of it. Cover, that part of it covered and see how you know kind of follow the stories right although one seemed like it had a, a pretty solid ending i mean we're two episodes into i mean one the of the year. one of the stories is over as far as fortina goes right but um being two episodes into the new year too though where we're in like the slowest period of time and everyone knows this of course i don't have to I'll, reiterate it i'll tell you what though i was like super i don't remember being that excited to watch something in, in a long time, like I was, ex- like I, I was telling my wife, nine o'clock, nine o'clock, gotta watch Restaurant Hustle all night. She's like, "Why are you so excited about this? This is my life, babe. This is for me. This is my it's life. This is an accurate depiction of my like, life." Yeah. I was like, "Finally, there's some real shit about my life on TV that we can watch because no one ever does it." And I, honest, whether it's good or bad, I'd like to see more raw, like real restaurant content and like see that behind the restaurant not like i the think John it is Tapper interesting yeah like not the chop stuff. not not the chops bad but like you know another want, another genre of just following like real people and seeing like the real shit you like want the you, entourage where you're vinnie chase and the cameras are following around while you're drama. running a restaurant no that, that's you're all too happy drama. you need like the real life the it's real, not always like, a happy yeah, the real guys like yeah. the real it'd be cool to see and i'm not Something like, like me, but I, I I agree. I could more definitely cons- get behind watching more content something. like that, where you see, or even if they follow one of those chefs, but on like their day to day, like that's some cool ass shit, right? Because you see. 
these guys on their TV shows or whatever, and you kind of forget sometimes that they're doing it too. But then you get to see like these guys like struggle and do the day to day and all that stuff, and you're like, that's just interesting. Like I would watch a show about Marcus Samuelson day to day life. I agree. And, I would watch that. And that's interesting too because they could actually cover hurdles that you're going through and trying to figure them out. And it would be, you know, very beneficial to people within the restaurant and kind of rekindle some of those spirits. I'm sure. Somebody get Guy on the line so we could have a conversation about this with the pretty production sure he's team. Busy. He's probably pretty busy. He's busy? Got yeah. it. We'll get, we'll get through at some point. Raising millions of dollars. Talk about raising millions of dollars. We hit our first $1,000, which is a milestone in three weeks of having the cocktail garnish live. Right? That's pretty crazy. Congratulations. So, Do we have a clap? No, nah, uh, we don't need any claps. It's just a piece of... We it's need a just special a, effect It's so just we can a hit. piece of making the things happen, right? But now there's new hardships, and those hardships are the steady realization of that if I want to put this into bars to, for people to save time or restaurants for them to save time instead of having to dehydrate these things in the back, slice them themselves, you know, they just buy them at a fair price, a wholesale price, I wouldn't be able to keep up with that demand. I need somebody that has huge dehydration rooms. That way we can get this thing going. And I'm having talks with guys that are all telling me that I'm an idiot and I should jump off a cliff if I think that this could possibly work and make a profit. So, you know... These guys don't know what I'm doing with There's this. There's always haters. Well, they think I'm selling fried, dried fruit chips or something like that, right? What do you get for a price on a dried... Hey, Stacey's pita chips went for, like, billion dollars. I don't know what they are. They sold to um, oh, the, like the pita dip yeah. chips, kind of? Stacey's pita chips. It's a brand. Cool. I'm trying to figure out how to do that, too, to somebody that wants to come buy this brand. Awesome. Let me build it first, if I can. So You, you can know, do it. I believe in With you. these things being said, though... It's very hard to find somebody that can get you a price appropriate enough on drying goddamn fruit so I could just package it up and do what I need to do with it. But we'll figure that out as time goes on. And again, I think we can talk to Chef Mo uh, Mogan about this a little bit later on in the show and what he's doing as well with his Oli Bands. Olo Band. Olo Bands. Jay, I told you, I have a dehydrator, I'll say. No, I need big stuff, dude. I need one the size of a truck. Start small, work your way up. We're there already. Have you had any crazy requests recently? There's always crazy requests. Yeah, but at what point you gotta? Can you be more specific? Well, I mean, I would like one part like of my steak request? well, one side of my steak mid rare. To be honest, that's not as crazy as yeah. you may think. No, no. That would rank like maybe fifth on all time crazy requests. What? One time I was a bar manager at a country club and it was low tide, and the woman whose wedding it was asked if I could bring the ocean closer. <laughs> Let that's, me go dig. Definitely out there. Let me go dig now. Uh, what about the time? I'm not was, even kidding. I'm not even remotely kidding. I believe it. I was working in the bar one time, and the kid rolled up, and I've told you the story before, where he ordered like seven shots of Fireball, and then tried to return them after I poured them and charged him already, and he wanted to return them, and then he asked to speak to a manager because this became a customer service issue, <laughs> and mind you, it's the middle of like strobe lights happening at 2 a.m. And I was just blown. I didn't even think this was a real thing. Like, that is my top ever. I think the point of the story is sometimes the customer is not always right. No, and I, I kind of agree, but we do in the hospitality industry go as hospitable as we possibly can. Absolutely. To accommodate needs because everyone's going out is different. You sign up to always say yes and to always make it nice for them. And, and you know, that was nothing has really highlighted 
how that could be wrong sometimes in the last 10 months just because you see the how people so, some people but how you see how some people think the rules don't apply to them and they can just do other things because we've said it before i've you know we've always been taught to not sit and never say no and all that stuff and do whatever we can to make the customer whatever but you know, you see through this thing, there's certain things that you have to say no to and that people don't want to listen to and they just make requests and do whatever. So maybe they're not always right. Yeah, Melting Pot, we used to have the hostess, and I'm going back years here, we used to have the hostess, if they had time, run across the street and get slices of pizza for the kids if they didn't want to do fondue. And this was like the going above and beyond that like they really wanted to be known for. I don't mind that as much, though. No, I, I'm that, not saying not, it's wrong. It's, that's not too I don't bad. mind that as much. It, I would, if you put it in a where the hostess does that on her own, that's hospitality, right? Like if it's all oh, the kids are saying, oh, you know what? I went across the street and I grabbed this for the kids. That's hospitality. But if the table Ask is like that to turns it around, right, and says, uh, well, you don't have what my kid wants. Can you go across the street and get this shit for my kid? And then they expect you to do it because you're supposed to be hospitable, and that's where the disconnect is. So, so one, in one way, it's acceptable, and in one way, it's people have been trained to expect things. I guarantee somebody listening has had something very similar like that happen to Oh, I'm sure. So I was, I was actually reading an article in uh, Food and Wine magazine where somebody was – Somebody was referencing a situation very similar to this that happened during the pandemic. Uh, it was Chef Angie K. Mar of the Beatrice Inn was talking about a situation where they were only doing outdoor dining because you can't do indoor dining in New York City. And um, she had a guest who she tried to explain that situation to. And the guest's response was, oh, no, I can't sit outside. I'm wearing Gucci. Which is, like, ridiculous. But, you know, apparently people have feelings like that. I mean, she was outside when she got there wearing Gucci. It's, <laughs> well, no, it, it's about the amount of time that she spends outside. I didn't even think outside. of that. I was like, <laughs> no, it's, her, it's, her, it's hit the outside You're already air. outside. <laughs> it, it didn't crumble in the, in the fresh outside air. Jeez. I mean, that could have been the response. But, I mean, I say all this to say that apparently it's not just us who are feeling this way. Maybe this is a common theme throughout the industry, at least right now. What do you think is going to happen in the next few months? Because you can't just keep dining outside. We're going to be having significant cold snowstorm days. What do you mean? It's almost summer. <laughs> in some <laughs> eyes, yeah, it is almost summer. But we still have a few months to go here. Yeah, man. I don't uh, know. Come on. Come March, Brooklyn Summer Ale comes out. Then it's March, and it's St. Patrick's Day, and then it's April, and boom. There we go. It's well, summer. The man's got a point. We're brewing our uh, shillelagh stout over at Diner already. So. <laughs> and there's already Valentine's Day candy out in the stores right now a month ahead of time as well. By the way, if you go all the way back to episode one, which is about a year ago this time, that line was in that episode where I just said, hey, it's almost summer. Little did I know summer was going to bring COVID. We're going to take a little trip, guys. A, a short little trip. We're not going too far away, but we got Chef Morgan Anthony in the building with us today. We do. And he's responsible for things that were coming out of Village Social, Rise Social, right? Yeah. And not only that, but Locali Pizza Bar and Kitchen up in New Canaan, Connecticut. Yes, sir. So it, this guy's got his hand in, in a handful of things. I mean, this is a real restaurant group. There's a lot of places that live underneath this gigantic umbrella. Yeah. Yeah. You know. You, uh, you started 2011. You came into the cooking world. Uh, no, was that about the same time that you came in? Uh, no. In 2011, I was already kind of working at Smokehouse for a couple of years. but Okay. Yeah. And... Entering into the cooking world, literally your first spot as a sous chef was in Village Social. Yeah, so I started in a Village Social as a sous. Uh, prior to that, I was in, um, 
I was uh, I was in a Barcelona in a in a Connecticut Greenwich, mm. and then prior to that, I was in a John George in the city. Very nice. So. I just seem like everybody worked at Barcelona at some point. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, that was my shortest uh, stint actually. How long were you at John George? John George, I was there for like around I think about four years. Oh wow! So he, you really worked your way around that whole kitchen there. I'm guessing. Yeah, I, I, I was actually with him in all the location. Like I was in a Spice Market, Paris Street. I was in a, the Trump Tower. You know, so I was in that area. And then when I moved here, I started working um, uh, Barcelona and Greenwich. It was a kind of my shortest thing. And then I jumped on a village social. Explain John George to me, considering I'm a culinary peasant. Yeah. Um, I think at John George, it's... Um, our, so when I, when I moved up here from Malaysia, and um, I, always, uh, I always worked with, like, European chef. I always worked in a hotel. That's my background, like... Did, hotel, you, did you go to culinary school in Malaysia? You know what? Or? Actually, I went here, and I went to culinary school here to take some certification, not necessarily the, uh, the four years. You know, yeah, yeah. I, I did not have a lot of money. But um, in, back in, in Malaysia, I, in, in, in Singapore, that's where I actually spent a lot of time, uh, that I worked in a hotel. Like, it's a hands-on experience, yep. you know. Um, and the chefs are usually uh, European descendants, and, you know, it's a very popular... Uh, back then in, in 1997, 98, the restaurant groups are not popular in Singapore. It's all about hotel, a Michelin star restaurant. They gotta be, uh, the chefs are from Michelin star restaurant from France, from Germany. That's why they'll, you know, you don't really see a lot of Americans. So I, you know, I worked as a waiter, food runner from the scratch. When I moved up here, I always wanted to work in a kitchen. I had a little bit of background working in the kitchen in Singapore. Moved up here. First, I got a job in, um, Bedford posting, um, the celebrity uh, was opening up, uh, his name is Richard Gere. Mm-hmm. Richard Gere was opening up a restaurant, yeah. and um, I was actually um, just kind of moved up here, and, and I, I said, like, you know, um, listen, I'm probably going to go to school a little bit. I need money, so I worked in this Asian restaurant called Tangda. So I worked in an Asian restaurant as a server, bartender, pick up a slack, um, making some tapes. In the morning, I would work in a Richard Gear place in a Bedford Post-In. And, and a Bedford Post-In was really popular back then. This is 2006, 2007. Um, after like a year, and then I moved up to the city. Um, and then I, I started to work in a... Uh, my first restaurant was in a Paris Street, which is a jo- John George's son was running it. His name is a, a Cedric Vangerichen. The father is obviously a, a John George Vangerichen. So Cedric was in a, in a El Bulli in Spain doing all this like a molecular magical Strabic, cuisine. Yeah, yeah. So the son came back and the father said, listen, just run Parry Street. And he took over Parry Street. So I even worked before he, the son took over. <laughs> um, so I got hired there and then I started to work from the scratch. Um, I never really was planning to take any position in the company, put it that way. You know, it was like, I'm still has that old school mentality where like, you know, I want to work first five years before like I'm taking on other position. So there was like my grind that first four years working. I used to go to work like around six o'clock in the morning, work on a spice market, making all these uh, Asian street food stuff, uh, spring roll and all that. And then in the evening, 3.30, I would run across the street which is Parry Street. It's all in the same uh, district. I'll go to Parry Street, then I'll walk in Parry Street. It's a fine dining, and then I'll back home like around 
12 to 1 o'clock. This is like youthful, spry energy that you have <laughs> yeah. at this point to be working experience all to be day long, long nonstop. Yeah. No, like, no, no, no. I remember those times when they existed. I, I feel slowing down now. It's definitely <laughs> right. happening. Yeah. You don't have, you've been kicked in the mouth so many times that it's like, God, I can't work from 6 a.m. to 3 a.m. anymore. You don't have that same feel that you once did. But you came in and you said you had that drive, literally, where you said you wanted to do this for five years, essentially. I tell myself, I want to do this, and I'm not really planning to be a chef de cuisine. Or, and, and I see a lot of people actually pass me and took the position. But I tell myself, because I, in my mind, in a long term, I always wanted to do like some sort of like everyday food. You know, like that's what, where my heart is. But I want to have a strong resume. I always had like, listen, either you take a, you know, you have a good education, so you worked with somebody that, you know, um, that really teach you some quality. So I went that route, you know. When you say too, though, that, you know, you're not looking to move up, you're essentially just trying to work all the different areas. You're pretty much saying I'm absorbing and learning as much as I can in this time period, as well as, of course, putting some money away, I'm sure. But in... Do you think that you have more of an advantage in doing that where you're not looking to advance and instead kind of just stay at the bottom areas and just see how every single little thing works in a restaurant? Or by a thing, I mean every single station or every single position. Every single area, just to right. be able to understand everything, it gives you a better foundation. Correct. So I worked in all the position from salads to, you know, preps and cleaning and everything else and to the grill station and, you know, like... CDP or whatever that, um, but in in so so my my planning when when I was working for John George was like of course I, I tell myself that I want to learn and I want to know how to do the butcherings and everything so I'll go extra hours to do and work for free and so on. Though the one of the reason I was not really planning to take any position or when that route was. Um, I know that I don't want to be in a rat race in the city. Like, I realized that after, like, two years in the city. I was, like, living in Queens. I was paying half the amount of a rent. Um, and, you know, like, I was, like, kind of like a, a mid-20 to I'm going to be, like, hitting 30 in a couple of years. My wife was a pastry chef. She was working for WD-50, if you know, if you know that Very guy. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. right. So, um, and, um, and both of us is like, listen, like we work so much. It's like, I see you two hours a day. Yeah. So listen, we really want to be in the business long, long term. We should have some sort of plan. So after a couple of years, we realized that. And then I say like, listen, I want to learn as much as I can. And then when I go on my own, I know what am I doing, you know? And uh, people actually kind of are willing to invest on you. Like, hey, listen, you have a John George and resume. That was a good, and, but you know, I'm talking about like 12 years ago, you know? So I don't know if you saw, you know, really, um, needed now to have all those names, but back then it was really helpful. You know? well, we see that through everybody's resume and everybody yeah. that we've spoken to. Everyone's kind of essentially working, working, worked for free to some extent. Well, not for free, but you know what I mean. Right. You just put in your time somewhere just to have that name on your resume. So you can say for the next place. You could say for free. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely a lot of free work going on. Very, very, so, very true. Very true. <laughs> I actually know? did works for free for him. I usually do. Um, so when you go to Trump Tower, that t on top, it's a, a three-mission-star restaurant. That's a John George, John George. They charge $320 a person back yep. in the day. And then Down says, we'll do all the grinds, which is, um, uh, they call it Terrace. And um, um, that's it's an, another name for it, but uh, it all supplies the, the, the Trump Towers, the in-room dining and all that, and hustle and bustle. 
So it's a, it's a separate kitchen, essentially. It's a separate kitchen, correct. That winds up fulfilling orders for anybody that dines in their rooms. Yeah. Uh, where else? It's Would a room t- terrace. They call it terrace. Okay. And, and uh, there's one more name for it. It's like a casual part of the dining. Okay. Um, so, um, so I used to work there. And whoever worked there, and they get chosen or get picked to work in a... The Michelin style place up yeah. in the kitchen. That's like the proving grounds before you make it up to the exactly. Big yeah, and then you get like I. They will put me on randomly to do like a mush bush and all that. You know that was like a big thing back yeah. then. You know. You ever see the crazy hotel show? It was on Netflix for a while, and they take you through all these tours of these insanely large hotels, and they'll ask a question and say, "Hey." How many restaurants are in this place? And they'll go, oh, there's 14 restaurants in this place. <laughs> or not restaurants, but kitchens, like specifically kitchens to fulfill orders for all of the guests that are, you know, staying in these hotels. Yep. Which is, yeah. it's crazy to see that. So when you're working in that type of atmosphere, that's really, you're like learning a lot though, too, as far as how to prep all the different items that are going out and everyone has their own little piece of a section. Yeah. And so one of the good things about working at a Michelin star restaurant like that is when you start out on the salad station or something like that, you're oftentimes doing some of the most intricate work that has to be done at that restaurant and someone working the first course station, everybody who sits down is going to get a plate from your station. So you've got to be on time. You've got to be precise with everything you do. Otherwise it slows up the service for the entire rest of the kitchen and the rest of the restaurant. But that's very true. Yeah. Very true. I think uh, I, I, I read this code from, um, uh, uh, Ferran Adrier, um, and That's he said that El exactly, yeah, from yeah. El Bullies, and he said that you're rather serving a sardine or know how to clean the lettuce properly than uh, cooking a lobster in a in an average restaurant. So I think that's kind of like you know how I see it. Like I'd rather work in a Michelin star restaurant, making nine dollars fifty cents an hour, learn how to do all this fundamentally correct, yep. rather than just I would have just worked fifteen dollars an hour in the city back then. And making more money, but that wasn't a that wasn't not. I, I know that in the long term, I will have some sort of like kind of a building uh, um, like a speed track, so where I can jump off the curve. You know what I mean? So I spend the first versus a lot of people now. That's probably the opposite. Like let me give yeah. me say, let me know how much is there an hour. <laughs> you know, it's crazy to uh, what you just said before too. Where you know in New York here we do live in this rat race where we are working nonstop, and you see other parts of the world where everyone's a little bit more leisurely. Right. Simultaneously, though, we have a advantage in where we are because there's so much more business to have, Very and true. you have to choose your trade-offs. So where you're saying that you were paying way too much money in rent living in Queens, yeah, down right. in the city, you know, wherever you are in the city, yeah, you're paying a lot for very little. Versus now here, where we're... 30 minutes outside the city, 40 minutes outside the city, depending on how far up the line you go, where now you're paying maybe the same amount of money for a fucking castle. <laughs> I live in a castle. You, you get a lot more, but, you know, paying you, those city prices, you're still in the city in the middle of it. you live in a castle? Not like as, not literally <laughs> living in a castle. You don't even have a dining room. This, yeah. guy, this guy sells sex and he lives in a castle. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's interesting to see that, and so many times I think about things too. When you talk about creating businesses where you're shipping things out, New York's a great place to live because it's such a dense population of people that are ordering things from you. So say you're selling the Spice Rub online, right? Just there's a thing, if anybody hasn't seen it, the Spice Rub you can actually buy from Smokehouse online. It's called Tailgate Rub. Thank you for correcting me. But all I'm saying is that in this Northeast Territory here, it's easy to have a huge amount of people that congregate and come out to places 
And the shipping on items is extremely cheap because it's not really going that far, as opposed to selling something to California where you're paying max shipping to get all the way across the way. Very true. So to me... Well, actually, your right point there was not California. You should say like Iowa or something like that because it's cheaper to ship to California because there's more hubs. Correct. And uh, no, that's a very valid point. And we should dig on that a little bit later too. So after you really spent some time in here, you put your quote-unquote five years in, quote-unquote, right? We right. didn't actually do the five. No, no, I didn't do actually five. I actually ended up doing actually four. And, um, that's pretty damn good. That's that, is, that is very close good. Enough. Enough. Close, close enough. enough. Yeah. Close, close enough. enough, you know. I still did about four. And, um, and after four, I think uh, I started actually uh, uh, got a job in, um, in a Connecticut uh, and a Basel owner. And I remember was uh, making a lot of these dishes, and 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 it's a very uh, a Spanish environment. So I couldn't really use my creative, what I learned from John George. Right? John George about like Asian cuisine. His mentality is, is like um, using that Asian citrus vinegar as versus everything reduced like a really French stock. So he does slightly different. So that was a really good skill to learn. Um, so I couldn't use any apply what I learned. So uh, I got I got some. You know, I got some, um, um, I you know, I got some recommendation from somebody like to, to actually that looking for people in uh, Village Social and Village Social just to open up back then. You know, they had some uh, different type of menu, and and I actually went there and took the position actually as a sous chef back back then they had a chef, and that was in a back 2011 I believe it's uh, probably even March I believe in July. Um, and I took the position there, and then I actually kind of stayed on. And, and honestly, I don't really like to work in a place more than a two or three years um, because I, I know that I wanted to grow and I wanted to do just like any other chef. I wanted to, my, but you know, um, Joe's a great owner. You know, um, he had this like a neighborhood restaurant. From there, we actually opened up uh, Locali, which is like very very different because I, I don't have any experience in Italian cuisine and it was a learning curve and I had actually great time learning those. Um, and we went to open up Locali in New Canaan in November, probably even in October 2013. And it's one of the busiest locations we have and it's never even closed for pandemic. And you know? so we were, so I was grateful to learn that because um, after a couple of years, Joe, I became a chef, and then I also become some sort of a managing partner for the group, so culinary director, whatever you call, because I still work, and and I become that guy that hey, listen, like let's study some concept and probably implement that concept and so on. So what I realized that, and I was coming close some of these articles, and so you know, like a Westchester, a lot of the Italian, like Westchester, very popular back then for like a lot of these Italian and Greek old schools. And one of the articles that I read is about, you know, like most of the, the old school restaurants are like, like 25 years, 20 years, 15 years. And, and these owners are getting old and they serve the meatballs and so on. So the, the millennials, they're looking for fun environments. And that's where you see like Palpatinas and you see Dubari, which is a cookery. I love that place and parlor and all that's coming up. And Joe, which is he's, he himself an Italian, and he says, look, listen, they'll be cool because I love wood fire. So that's how I kind of got involved. And actually, that's one of the passionate projects that I ever worked. And because we bring this guy from Italy, he, he shipped his bricks and stone and, and to set up, our, you know, because we were said, hey, we want to get the best mm. oven possible, wood fire oven. 
So you, you so, shipped over bricks from Italy to build your oven? Yeah, that That's was a badass. fun experience, man. Like, uh, his name is uh, Stefan Ferrara, and he's a very, very known in a, in a, in a, in a, in a wood fire pizza community. And, and he's a very older guy. He's a third generation Italian built oven. So through one of our connections, we brought this guy as a consultant. And he's made it very clear that he's not going to use anything locally. And he's got to come from there <laughs> to call that. What's so special about the bricks? Is there like a special quality that they have above standard bricks? It's they all... were blessed by the Italians. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he swear that, you know, like the, the, the water, the product, the, the scents and whatever they use, it's actually the best. And he's going to stick to it. And he and, and the product got stuck in a custom and he will never, you know, like you got to pay for this guy to stay in a hotel and motel. Right. And you have to bring him all this. You know, like strip club in the city as well. So it was, it was really fun experience. So he's laid up in a hotel on a company dime while everything's held <laughs> while up. Everything's custom. custom. Uh, yeah, yeah. So the product's stuck in the custom, and my partner. So he will put this uh, like all. You know, you cannot look at the way he built, right? That's a <laughs> it's a fun experience because you go and see. He will tell you like, hey, listen, like. You can come and talk to me, but you can't see, right? And then so the he's next got like a good, curtain up over the stove so you can't see? The next day he put the curtain. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, because you cannot steal the craft. And, 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 then, and, then, and then that took us a little bit of time to build. And that was a, you know, hiccup. But like we said, like, we were invested in this concept. So that's where, like, that first concept started. And it was kind of a learning curve for me. I was like, oh, this is... You know, like, although, like, when we opened the second location, we got, we got somebody more local to build. <laughs> we, got, we got smarter. Yeah, that was my yeah. next question. Was it worth it in the end? Exactly. So, uh, but, but it was a fun, fun experience because I feel like after, after like a couple of years as a chef, and when you take on all these positions, you kind of stop learning. So this was, uh, um, like, my time of, like, learning something new because I never really worked in Italian uh, restaurants or learning how to make a pizza so I had a great time doing it you know like although like it's all kind of changed my perspective like it's a good pizza it's just done very differently and you were still running the other restaurant while that was all going on or no or so that? the good thing is that was our second location that was the second in 2013 okay. that was like a second location so I had a chef working in village I will usually go back and forth um, but that was my second okay you say uh, a very valid point, though, of you don't really like to stay in a place for more than three years. And I think that it's extremely beneficial to leave when you know that you've gained all the experience you could possibly gain in a place and see other things. And by that, I mean ways other environments act or put their, put their entire establishment together because not any two owners are doing things exactly the same. And it can be dangerous at times for guys who have been in the same place forever, not seeing the way anybody else operates because they're missing out on areas where they're not as efficient and they would never know unless they saw it firsthand. So what you did was, how many spots were you in before you landed here with the restaurant group? So I was in Barcelona, Paris Street. I was in a spice market. I was in a John George. I actually would work on my day off in some of these like a random location in a city. Uh, Pichelin was one of them. Um, I actually, uh, this is funny that I got actually got fired from a place in a city called, um, it's called, the restaurant called Aziad. It's in a Mandarin hotel. That was my, one of my first job. Actually, I got fired 
<laughs> that was fun. I mean, it was your first job. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know what? It's actually my. That's between my transitions of leaving John George. I think I went there. I got fired. It was a very union place. You have to take a break, means you got to take a break. It was a very different environment where I was not used to it. So I'm just going against all the rules, you know. And then I, I was really kind of young also at the same time. And I think I called, uh, I called there was a, there was an Asian chef was now executive. She, she's a very good looking lady. I think I called her sexy or something. And she kind of hate me for that. But I got, <laughs> I got fired after like a month or two. I was just not, it's a very, um, it's a very, <laughs> It's a, you know... Um, Structured? You no, know, it's, a, it's a hotel. It pays you a lot of money, $23 an hour, I remember, until today. Um, it's ever higher that I ever got paid, even until today. Like, I, I, you know, like, I think it's $23. And, and, and it's a union place, right? So union, you have to take the break because it's, you get into a lot of the gray area. And I know that uh, usually, like... I set up my station. When I go down for break, I take my time. I make sure like my station's all set. When I come back, I feel good, and then I'll kind of like a sneak in the station and eat. Like I do very a restaurant style because I walked across the street, which is a John John. So I went back there. I think I got fired. I think uh, the third month they don't really have a firing. It's like uh, after the third month they won't confirm the, the probation period. Like you know, it's like you know they try you out for three months. I think I went back to John George again, and then come to Connecticut. You know, so. That was a fun experience. When you came up here to Connecticut and went into Village Social there, the first thing that you're kind of doing is feeling out your environment. And you're talking about now being like 40 minutes north of the city where things are a lot more laxed out here. We're not dealing with the same volume of people. You're not dealing with the same type of people. And when you walked into this restaurant, it was your first day, your first week. Did you feel that immediate difference that oh, said, yeah. oh, I feel comfortable here? Yeah. I know things. Or <laughs> I'm going to learn a lot more from these guys because it's a lot more intimate of a setting. It was just different because uh, when I first got a job, um, kind of let it go for like a couple of weeks just to see what's the environment. And it was, uh, I definitely tell myself, like, what did I get myself into? It's just different. Um, so I had... Until today, we cook everything. A lot of our squid sticks are very popular. We always cooked on the sea wraps or we cooked on the suet. And I've been there for 10 years. So I've always done the same. And I can see that, but it's a, lot, it's a lot of hard work to teaching a neighborhood cooks to do all these things. So when I went there to do all these, I definitely shoot myself in the foot because it took me a long time to teach people some of these like new cooking styles because I would, I'm a really, I'm a very like a recipe orientated. I have to have everything down the gram. It's two gram of salt means two gram of salt. Like I don't do cups and no matter how I do, that's my, yeah. almost like my. Grams know. all the way through just so it's uniform and consistent. Exactly. Yeah. Like, you know, so, um, so I had a challenge in the beginning, like teaching because I use like kombu, fish sauce, like all this like umami. And these neighborhood guys are like, they're comfortable. Yeah. Like, like we tell them to do like bolognese and all that they will do right away. And then if I tell them to do some sort of like Asian finagre, like, dude, like, what is this? Like, coffee lime leaf? Like, what am I? Like, I'm like, where is this? Like, so so in, just, in a way, it's like all those new techniques and stuff that you learned in the city just kind of hadn't made their way out to Connecticut just yet. Exactly. Yeah. So it was a very different, like, I had a, definitely my moment, but I also see that once you know, they're like a machine. Yep. So, like, that was good. Like, in the city, you know that the, the cooks, you know, um, Everybody's like got their own opinion and their own ideas. Exactly, you know, but here like, all right, this is good. You could apply what you needed. You can, you know, so 
it it was a it was definitely a shocking in the beginning but i kind of like a push it through it you know i take a lot of note to get through all these things uh that's including joe back in the day was a owner he was also hands on general manager the you know so um but like end of the day i kind of find my kind of comfort in figuring out the menu what the customer looking for and kind of take on my style of the menu like which is like a lot of the asian so that i could figure it out like you know like it's like just 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 to be honest like the social menus are they don't have like some sort of identity like you go there we are like we have chinese foods we have like a tacos we look we kind of all kind of crap on the menu the section of the menus are really good i put a lot of effort the section menus just for everybody that means like you know you come for the taco you get a taco you know so i kind of focused on the section that really i think uh, people come on weekend they enjoyed the section that people comes in every day i try to keep it very consistent you know so i kind of learn all that in the beginning like okay you know this is just not it's not worth it like i would go home 2 3 o'clock in the morning setting up cvap setting up suvid and i'll come back because it's going to be like almost one man show because the kitchen guys are not equipped to do that and it took me a long time to pass it over to them but it definitely a very different people come and try my food back in the day it was a kind of different for them as well uh, i mean i think a, i think if you go to a restaurant if you go to lokali you have a calamari people will tell you what's your favorite calamari listen man like i like calamari from there because you know it's italian it's connected to them but if you go to village social you know it's delicious but you don't know what the heck it is because we have like all these umami flavors and kombus and so on so it's give you that flavor but you just can't pinpoint so a lot of people will usually ask me a recipe like how do you do this how do you do that and how do you do this how do you do that so it's kind of in the way that you they know the delicious is exciting but like it's become a secret weapon where like how oh, they don't know where the flavors come from and so on so you, that's where like do you give out the recipe or do you keep it so you know what for the most part we've had I that do, conversation <laughs> some, yeah, some guys are don't want to give out the no i for the most part i give out the recipe yeah. because my recipe books in actually in a restaurant you know like people take it uh we at some point we were actually working on a cookbook so i stopped telling them like this part of the recipe don't give up but for the most part the recipes on the book if like some of this like a new chefs and manager comes in they will just give it to the people like hey take a look at it i have people that usually take a screenshot <laughs> for you know like you know because they want to know how you make it and so on yeah. but it was a, that was always been my kind of like a secret where like you know like you don't know what it is but it's delicious with all these umamis and so on so that that just makes it exciting right it's exciting correct you know yeah. as we've been working on getting this hot sauce to market and everyone's got to sign their ndas because it protects your recipe just you just did this with the spices too i'm sure he just always comes out of left field and he's like we've been working on this hot sauce <laughs> and i have no idea what he's talking about so in in <laughs> like, such though <laughs> me, you have just to refers to we all the time we, <laughs> me me and the squad in that <laughs> specific moment but everyone's signing their NDAs to make sure that they're not stealing your recipe and in my head i am the least amount worried about anybody stealing a recipe because people eat with their their eyes and associate the way that you you're Very selling true. something so they're going to get our hot sauce off the store shelf because it looks appealing against all the other hot sauce bottles and it's not dog shit so they're going to enjoy it now somebody else might have a real subpar label with the exact same logo right. and they're not going to sell a dime worth of the stuff and but yet it's the same stolen recipe right and i think dan was just saying that last week you want to know what's in my ranch 
fucking ranch. I took the first recipe on Google. <laughs> and sure enough, he's got so much praise for these chicken sandwiches he's doing. Uh, interestingly enough, in speaking to him too just recently, what episode was that? Last episode? Two episodes? Somewhere. Two episodes back. Uh, he was saying that now opening up the birdhouse, which is a to-go environment completely, just call, you get your order, and you peace out. It's really designed to be in and out and quick. And he's just, just to fill you in, he's talking about Dan Cardos that we had on. Oh, yeah. yeah that's we had, enough. We had him on, yeah, two episodes ago, we, had, we had him on and we were talking about that. So he was talking about the yeah. birdhouse, what he's talking about. Fried chicken, thing. right? He does yeah, like yeah, fried chicken, chicken sandwiches. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's great. Yeah. I need yeah. you guys to <laughs> fill in my Rain Man moments. <laughs> <laughs> like, he was going off on a tangent. I was, like, I'm trying to just bring him back. But, you know, you talk about concepts and different things that work and... Your partner in this is Joe, correct? Yeah. So I know that you guys have talked about a handful of different concepts over the years and figuring out what to bring to market. And it seems like when you stack all these concepts in the back of your brain over the course of time, they might not work in that very moment, but they might work three years down the line when the timing is right. How many concepts are you running now? So you have the Village Social, you have Pub Street, Locali, Pub Street. Okay, so that's what, four? Yeah. And do you, get, do, you get, do you get lost sometimes? <laughs> you know what? I actually got lost uh, during pandemic because that was the hardest. Uh, okay. I, had a, I have to say that I, I have a very steady group of people that actually worked with me, left and come back and worked with me as well. And I was kind of lucky in that we sense. Get, we get like the same kind, of, same kind of thing. People leave, people come back. Exactly. Yeah. You know, people leave, so we, you know, we, we, we paid people and treat people right, and we had a great relationship with a lot of people that actually left. It's got to be for the right reason when they leave, yeah. whether they, they grow, they stop growing in a company. So we had that. So a lot of these guys would kind of call me. And I never, like, I've been with the company for 10 years. I could call anybody right now. They would answer my phone call. Like, I had a great relationship with all my staff. Even somebody, even I let it go, they will, like, after a year, they become somebody and say, like, hey, thank you very much. You did the right thing. You're like, you know, I don't think so. we good, but... I'm your customer right now. I come in and so on. So they would answer my phone. So I had a great relationship. I got to thank God for that. You know? When we went into, uh, I guess, the height of the pandemic, where... I'm sorry. S- I'm going to cut you off again because okay. I'm just, I'm just, I'm still curious about the different concepts. <laughs> so different like, concepts, yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah, you know, for just to let you know, we don't simply open any concept. Like when we did fat root and noodles, we were in Japan, literally. We fly to Japan. We spend time in Japan. You know, like I worked in a restaurant, ramen restaurant in Japan to make the noodles and soups and steam buns. We were working. So we invested. Same, same goes to Locali. We did the same. We brought a consultant that nobody are talking about. You know, the only thing was like a lot easier was for me was a pub street. Uh, village social already exists when I took over. So I spent a lot of time. I love to do some research and do things right. That's always been my kind of fear. So it is a... Are, are difficult uh, to run four restaurants, having four different concepts, four different recipes, four different team and crews, like a little lost when they work on this side versus the other side. Um, but what I did was, I always has this mentality, choosing four people in the kitchen and take care of that person. So they stay with you and work with you for long term. So I invested on my chefs and a couple of my lead cooks. So they always been my go-to guy. And I always had that kind of a mentality where, like, you know, you will have always a revolving team, one or two team members, but let's take care of the team member that not revolving and kind of invest on them. So probably, like, pay whatever, 
pay them really well, paid vacations, extra time off family, emergency leave, whatever you can think of. So I had a chance of keep things very consistent. Needless to say, you probably have a very small turnover rate in these restaurants yep. in typical times as well because people don't want to leave. If you're treating them well and they're working for you, they want to stay there. I agree 100%. Uh, I think that also creates less headaches than having to you know, put up Craigslist ads every couple of weeks just to refill the spot because, you know. Well, you never, a, you never use Craigslist. You just get crazy people from <laughs> Craigslist. You never get anybody good out of Craigslist. And you know what? You're very right. <laughs> I got a chance to pull somebody from the street, probably does a fantastic job, then yeah. actually correctly sometimes. Uh, Although I get a couple of guys here and there, but you're, you're right. Mike my, my, my posted the same, he's posted the same job several times. We haven't actually, we haven't had a, have any turnover in the kitchen for like two years, but That's great. recently we've needed, well, we're opening a second location, so we know we're going to have to bring new people in. And he posts a job on Indeed or Craigslist or whatever it was. He got the same five people applied that applied the last time we opened the job. <laughs> it's like one of the two of them did it, came in and did a trail oh, and they just man. like reapplied again. It's the whole thing. But I'm, I'm curious when you get to the opening the other locations, right? Where do you get... Does it? How do you decide? Okay, we're gonna open this this next location. Is it is it um just like in the desire for a certain type of food, or do you find yourself sometimes? Because we have this problem. Mike and I have been doing smokehouse for thirteen years, so it's just straight barbecue. That's our concept. That's the menu we have to go into, and that's how we execute. But but you have so many other ideas. Yeah, we have other <laughs> ideas, and we do a special on Saturday, and we have this and that. And then we have to kind of reel ourselves in okay? and we have to say, uh, that's not really, it doesn't fit in our, <laughs> in our brand, right? We can't just start doing, yeah. you know, Wagyu ribeyes on the, on the side and our brand is like barbecue at a reasonable price. So then you start thinking of concepts outside of it. Well, if we want to do this, maybe it'll work in this kind of concept. So in my roundabout way of questioning is, do you right. come up with a concept and say, we think this will work in a market or is it born out of, getting into kind of a certain kind of dish that maybe doesn't work in one concept, but say, well, you know, we can build something around that. So we, what we, um, so like we have these, all these brokers, I'm sure that reach out to you guys and say, we got locations here, location there, all that, right? So we say no to a lot of these places. Like we're not, we build all these places like course of 10 years, not overnight, you know? So um, we take a look at the location. We see whether if that location, uh, that town needs, uh, you know, like for Pleasantville, they already have Italian restaurant there. They already have some sort of like a old school delis and like, you know, like, a, you know, a Latino spots. So we really don't want to compete getting into the neighborhood and try to compete. So we say like, listen, uh, there will be nice because what you short see is it's, it's actually an oyster bar seafood place that actually can fit into this. And we kind of a, see what really the neighborhood needs. And then we kind of a squeeze in the concept. We never try to squeeze in a relationship concept everywhere they're big they're bigger manual they're like almost like a cheesecake factory type of operation we know that it's not going to work everywhere so we hate to kind of squeeze in just because like we success and we weren't success in drive for first two years we've been there for almost going to be four years right now after the third year it's kind of a took off it was just it was just difficult so right what the location needs what are the options in town we take them into that answer you oh. do you I, I want to circle back to Joe, though, and uh, finding a partner that works. As you came in here, Joe doesn't know you. You don't really know Joe. You just are kind of feeling that this is the right place and things are working out correctly and you're learning a little bit and you're seeing how they operate. 
And at some point, you take that leap where you guys become that much closer to the point where you've got this harmonious relationship to then open all of these different concepts down the line as time goes in. And I think that's a rarity for a lot of guys to find in their business partners. How many times do you hear these stories about business partners being complete nightmares? And, you know, it, tur- it turns out that it's so often. I mean, my uncle's been partners with his business partner for like 30 years now. They're technically like married almost. Just same thing that you're in. You've had a long stint relationship with your partners. What makes a partner great in, in your view and what are some of the hardships that you guys have endured over the years in trying to make various ideas work? Sir, it's a great question. So I never, um, I never plan to actually partner with Joe or Joe partner with me. Just I happen to be in the right place at the right time. And I also, one of the shadows that will tell you that my, uh, I never get into the business try to open multiple restaurants. It was not my plan, actually. Uh, I actually went there as a sous chef. I got promoted to chef. I had a great time working. And, but I always wanted to do, uh, like, I'm from Malaysia, so I always wanted to do, like, some sort of a cool street foods. I want to keep it. That's me, my family, my wife. He's actually from Malaysia as well. So we wanted to keep like that. That was my long-term plan. I even remember getting into working in Village Social in my first week. I talked to the manager, and he kind of like, Morgan, I like all these foods. You probably like, I'm sure that you're doing something. I told him, like, listen, you want to partner with me in the future? I want to do a noodle bar or something. That was my... So I, I would say, like, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time rather than, you know. And, and number one. Number two was um, I put a lot of work into that place and developed and figuring it out. Uh, I think I got invited for CHOP on 2011 or 12. I went there. I think in a desert round, I kind of lost on the CHOP. But people loved us. They supported us. They will come and watch the show there. So it was kind of like bring a lot of people and buzz and so on. Do you and remember the dish that you made that didn't win? That I never win? Yeah. Actually, I had a, 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 what do you call that, a shell in my squid. <laughs> so, so I served the squid. So my dessert was, came out really good, but uh, throughout, throughout the, you know, my courses, I had some yeah. flaws, you know. Um, so I actually had a um, great relationship with Joe because I kind of like uh, when they're not expecting to be a partner, hey, the restaurants makes extra million dollars right now. Like, you know, I never like, like I actually went the opposite, like listening. And he actually invited me when he actually went through a little bit of uh, difficulties with, with the partner back then. And he said like, listen, like I need people. This is a, it's a machine here. So we need somebody. So would you be? And, and I even say no to partnership and locality and all that. And I, I don't want to be in a, this one. I'm, I'm a very, back then, 10 years ago, I was a typical chef mentality, right? Uh, right now, I see myself more on that kind of a restaurateur, the businessman, uh, because I'm not going to lie to you, you will never see my social media like I'm pretend cooking and flipping pizza. That's not who I am. I work on things that needed and the focus and what needed attention and so on, on, on my level. But um, you will never see me like a flipping and try to be on a social media. You almost never see me on social media, you know. Um, but having said that, just to go back to that, we, I, had a, I had no expectation. So that puts me in a position where that I don't have to like, ask for anything. So um, I was in a good place. Uh, Joe recognized it. Uh, Joe had a sleeping partner that actually recognized it. And he said, like, let's start with this. And when they did uh, a locale, they asked me, I said, listen, I have a zero knowledge about Italian. I have no interest. And Joe said that, listen, like, I really want you to be part of this. It could be good for all of us. And, and then this kind of started to 
you know, like working a little longer, getting to know him and his families, and he knows my family, we create. Is that a challenge? Of course, he sees from different lines sometimes, and like than me, and uh, nobody's right or wrong. I think that's the way it is as our like uh, partnership goes, I guess. I'm sure that yep. you can probably You need knows. different perspectives to help bring it all together. Exactly. You know, like yeah. when I started there, he always said, like, Morgan, I don't care about your special. I need you to put a lot of effort on our burgers, right? So I remember, like, I used to kill these burgers in the blue cheese and fish sauce and all that and try to figure out. And then I went for this. That sounds good to me. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a pretty intense burger. <laughs> there you go. And then I went back. I went back to the very simple. Until today, we do the same. We put our burgers, lay on kombu sheets, mm. and then we sear the burgers, right? So all our burgers, when you go at 4 o'clock, they're all sitting on these kombu leaves. How long do you let them cure like that for? We cure them, like, uh, throughout the service. But it has to be an hour before 5 o'clock. It's a 4 o'clock. It's got to go in. And then, so we do that until today, you know, sitting in that salty combos. Um, and that's all I started years ago. Like, I don't even have to, you know, so what I'm trying to say is like, we have a differences. We had all these things, but I kind of know that it's part of that kind of a journey, I guess. So, all right. So we got the four, we got the four concepts going all over. Everything's going good. And we hit the COVID, hit the COVID. How does that work? You see one concept work better? Did they all, how'd you, well, let's start with March. What happened? Did you close down? So March or? 16, we closed on, right? Like March 16, March 15, we were sitting down. We all looking at each other. We're making like, instead of the restaurant makes like four or $5,000, we're making $800, right? So we really kind of lost. And we are big I groups. remember that day. <laughs> that, was, that was that Monday. I was already out of work. Right. So you're, you know, like, I'm a, more like a culinary director. So I know all the numbers in all the restaurants. I was like, they're like, this is not good, right? So every managers are calling. So what's happening and so on. So we say, listen, we're just going to close it for right now until we get back and see what's happening. There's a lot of uncertainty. The only place we kind of kept it open because of what the customers are looking for was our Lacolli New King. So we kind of, because that's a pizza place anywhere. People to go because that place had like 20 seats. That's all. So it's a to-go place. It's set up for it, right? Okay. So we left it open, we closed other five location, and we kind of like on the phone and figuring it out on the insurance and this and that, everything was like a bad news for us because nothing really, um, but we say that, okay, so this is, a, this is a March 16, fast forward, we have so many different conversations with me and partners and all the different, different managers and general manager. Fast forward in the May, we started to have a discussion again like, reopening so we wanted to open like kind of end of the may or whatever so we kind of pick and choose what would be there so what we did was we took a locally in Moncusco and village social in Moncusco we put them under one roof so we started up without opening and turning on lights and electricities and cost you a lot more money we say like listen just start put it all under because it's all to go anyway and we went on to go um, it was actually working to the point like it's a combination two concept and a village source was coming so out. from but from march until then you only only lakali was open everything else was closed so for two months everything was closed like then two and a half months almost three okay. months and some we just closed right and that was like like two two and a half months into it and then we opened lakali and village social under one and then another month we opened rye another month so we kind of reopening and we it was a shit show you know we lost a lot of our partners in the business and chefs, everything for the yeah. right reason. But they have family, they have kids. You know, like when we reopen, we couldn't pay them the way it is because you, it's a to-go place. Right. You know? Some of them able to take a, this one, some of them find it 
it's better not to take that so that they have an option from the government said it's a better for them. I, I will never blame any of them because I would do the same as well. So we kind of took it and, and we're like, whatever I said, able to work and whatever that not part of those benefits, come back and work, we'll figure it out. So it was, it was a very, so that's a part that the four concept is so confused. How many, how much percentage of your staff did you lose at that point? I would say that I retain most of the staff and I would probably lose, I would probably lose around, I would say maybe about 20%, but somehow they all coming back right now. You know, like they, they, they kind of tried enough things outside, they, they all actually come in. Well, at the beginning of summer, you were seeing oh, yeah. all these hiring sprees happen after everyone was on the couch for so long. Oh, yeah, so the summer was hot, yeah. And they said, <laughs> you, you, you guys managed to hire? Well, I wasn't doing any hiring. I got hired. I got hired in places, but I was laying on the couch for so long, and at some point, when summer started coming in, everyone was realizing, wait, we could serve tables outside, and people want to eat outside anyway. So it was like a free-for-all all over the place where everyone was hiring at that point, trying to bring back guys that were laying on the couch like me, right. but they were just taking the unemployment checks and happy with it, where they didn't wind up going back. So, so by the time we could reopen like dining, right, in, the, in New York, hey, did you have all of the all the concepts, locations back open at that point or not? We are, we don't have anything. Our, our last, locally was the last in train station that opened basically. That was, uh, I think that was open in, um, in uh, probably September. That was like, okay. was, yeah, so. Um, so even know, through summer, you still didn't open yeah, everything? Yeah, that place never okay. opened. But okay. we gradually opened one location at a time, giving us like a, a month open this a month, let it run, and then focus on the other one. That was a difficult one. So while all this was going on, when were you hatching the idea for the Oloban thing? So Oloban came out. I wouldn't be able to think of one other thing, yeah. by the way. If yeah, I had to figure out how to open to four other restaurants and this and that and a month, this month, I don't well, know. Explain but, the Oloban. Yeah. Oloban was a fun idea. So Oloban was really a fun idea. Like I staying home, listen, like it's, it's two, three months is a lot for chef. And just probably you can vouch for yeah. that, right? So I'm staying home, right? And I manage all this business. And, and my value to the business, it's my, my, my creative inputs, right? I don't go and flip it, but make sure the guy flips knows what he's doing, right? So, I, um, uh, so that, that is my, my, uh, my, my biggest value to the business, being a, that kind of has a creativity. So when, when we stay home, after a couple of weeks, in my, I, I'm not... You know, like I'm, I make a comfortable living, but losing all these restaurants at the same time. And you must understand, we don't have any, we don't have any investors and all that. We, we basically like we have a loan that need to pay back, right? So, we, so <laughs> we're very pro no investors. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I don't have. So when we lose a business, <coughs> you still have a loans to pay back, right? So after like two three months, it's kind of a creeped out on you, like, uh, like dude, like you know, you so much you can hug my. I got two kids and wife, and I got mortgage. And so on. So it, it's a difficult. But what I realized when I used to go back and forth between restaurants and all that, or in you know, opening, like always forget my sanitizer. And my wife always like has a sanitizer for me that kind of like a as a band she will cut here and there. And you know, like it, it's she she always like makes sure I don't forget because she's a little bit of like you know uh, worried because we have two young kids at home and we don't really have a lot of family members here. She's like, Mogi, you can't get sick, and I want to be really careful, right? So I used to go and I always forget. And then whenever like I want to use it, 
like I always I have to like look for all this and I forget and so on. So I when when I came up with the ideas, I said like I just want to came up with all band that straps on you. Whenever you want to use it, you just press it. You use it. It's on you. It's kind of connected to the time back in March and you know May and so on, right? So that's how kind of a all band. It came in just kind of a solve my problem first, nothing else. And I always been a like besides reading a cook cooking and so on, I always read like a very challenging uh, entrepreneurship. So I will, before I sleep, I will look at like how, um, you know, like a Carnegie Hall makes money and how back in the day, how like Rockefeller makes money. Like those are the documentary I watch. I don't have a TV in home. Uh, so it's only computers, no TV. Uh, I have books and that's all. It's, uh, so my mentality always towards more like doing some things for like meaningful and what, people likes, I'm excited about those things, you know what I mean? It'll be 3.30 in the morning and my girl rolls over and she's like, what are you reading? And I'm like, I'm learning about how to increase conversions on the website to sales. <laughs> like, what? It's 3.30, go to sleep. Exactly. Yeah. You essentially, from an entrepreneur's idea is you pinpointed a problem that existed and that was the fact that you need the antibacterial soap or whatever it's called. Uh, sanitizer. Right? Sanitizer, thank sanitizer. you. Right. Yeah, thank you. I need you guys. I need you. <laughs> so you forget it at home, but you can't forget it if it's on your wrist like it's a watch, pretty much. Right. So these bands actually slap onto your wrist, and if you press them, they will disperse a little bit of the sanitizer. Yeah. So the Olo band, it, the Olo band is crazy because when you're sitting around, your back's against the wall, you're seeing debt pile up in some areas, you say, right. how do I get out of this? Right. And sure enough, any hustler will figure it out. And you did do that. So the Olo bands you just told me retail for seventeen ninety nine, right? Right. So and they're refillable. They're refillable. And right, super yeah. convenience. It's right. made of plastic, I presume, right? Yep. So it's a silicone, eco friendly. You know, so you fill it up, and that's it. It's give you about twenty two to twenty five pumps, depends you use it. You know, and it was just kind. Of, it I created actually for like, like servers and managers, and you know, and then and then I kind of find the niche where like sports industries. So we kind of like become a lifestyle. So it was, it was a fun, it was a fun, I had a great, I actually didn't know that it's gonna be like that serious to be honest. Um, it's a, we work with like, like we contact like a Malaysian, Indonesia, China, like see who's affordable. We were contacting company out of like Colorado. They, like if I need to do that Oloban in Colorado, I have to charge $49. And I said, listen, like, like this is the last time you wanna charge sanitizer band. I like I want to be very accessible and affordable. So we got some sort of offshore that we talk and they say like listen we we probably can create these and your price point can meet around that fifteen to seventeen and, and that's gonna be great for sales. So I said okay that's great. Like that's something that you know how hard it is how hard it is. How hard is it to discuss overseas and I'm raining this back to when I would do streetwear and we would get our clothing manufactured in India. Right. And a lot of times you're doing things over Skype and there's a lot of loss in translation because although on the other end they can understand English, they might not understand what it is you're trying to do or how you're envisioning well, you, it. You speak, the, you speak the language though. Yes. Yeah, so so, right. so Malaysia, like my, my wife is a Malaysian Chinese and I'm actually Malaysian Indian. So like Malaysia has a like, like small group of Indians and, and Chinese that moved like 100 years ago. So I don't really speak uh, any Indian language, but I speak uh, Malaysian, Indonesia, 
a little bit of Chinese and Malays and so on, right? So it's kind of easier for me. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, you know, it comes to language. But it is difficult. It's not easy. So this is what happened. So we got this drawing, right? I got all this drawing, like, hey, this is a cool idea, let's draw this. Let's something that, like, not what? Because back then in March 16, 17, and 18, when that time, there's only one company has Sony Charger which has been out of Canada. Right now you can see 3,000 of them, right? Yeah. So it's cool, like, always like that, right? You have a good premium product, so you have a drop shipping product, probably you know it. And that's like get printed anyway. So, and then I, when I was working all these, I was like, it's costing $680 to some sort of a patent the product, right? $680, put it on your credit card, right? We figured it out, at least it's patent protected. So we worked on some cool patent. My wife, being a pastry chef, she's really good at illustrating and sketching. It was kind of helpful for me. She can take the idea, she can draw. We found a lot of jobless people are looking for jobs. So I came across this engineer who was looking for a job to do on these sites like Upwork, Craigslist. They're looking for things to do. So we found these people with some sort of like a batter, like, hey, listen, I give you this, you give me that, tell me. So so that time, a lot of people are looking to do something. Like mm -hmm. I actually, without these people, I actually, I don't think so I could continue. So we had a sketch, we had an idea, and we found the guy, and that guy is looking for a job. He's an engineer out of, um, I think it's Colorado, and he was, used to be in New York, moved to Colorado. He's like a designer engineer, so he can bring your product in a 3D uh, dimension to a life, like you can show how they look. So we paid in credit cards and having to start it, and he kind of like, you know, like put some together, and I thought, that's cool, that's easy enough. And then we found uh, a manufacturing guy. He's a, this is a white dude out of uh, Utah and Wisconsin. He'd been traveling between. And this guy speaks pure Chinese. Oh, wow. <laughs> He's a white dude from... In a, <laughs> so we found this guy online. And he said to me, like, listen, this is a great idea. Like, and, and, and again, like, people are looking for a job. You know what I mean? So it's not just me. So it's, it's a weird time. Yep. So we found Eric. And Eric's looking to do something, and he speaks Chinese, and he's kind of a consultant. So he took the project, and we reopened the business again. I kind of said to Olo, listen, like, we reopening a restaurant. So Eric, I don't really have a lot of time. At that point, I put, like, a, some money here and there with credit card. It's not really, like, an investment of right. large amount, right? And he said, like, dude, you put $600, you have a patent. Drop shipping guys can't copy you, right? Number one, big, big box one copy, right, which is Amazon. You just got to send them an email and say that, hey, you have a design patent. Because 99% design patents are guaranteed because it's not um, the other patent, which is a functional patent. I forgot what you call that. Uh, that is the hardest patent to get. Design patents are guaranteed, right? If it's your company, this is the product. When they recognize, they recognize all of So I was like, all right, so, so you should not stop. What I can do for you is I will continue work on this. When we really go into that really deeper, we'll figure it out, right? So I was kind of lucky, found some people. So I went back to open all this restaurant and I was not really paying a lot of attention to all of it, to be honest. Because this kid used to work in China, used to work in Taiwan, and he speaks like, like excellent Chinese and he, he writes Chinese. He's an engineer. Dude, he, I gotta give him a lot of credit. So how many of these bands have been sold to date today? So what we did was when we put it on the website, we only sold through Facebook, right? We probably sold like about 300 just on Facebook alone, nothing else. Awesome. 
All we was looking for, like I work with a couple of these college kids and like somebody that like this. All they're looking for, like who really buys it. So we have some sort of like data, like who really buying the product, right? 50% people buying it because of me. Like they know me, their restaurant, hey, listen, support this guy. The other 50% of people really want a solution. Like mom, buy for the daughter. Yeah. Sister, buy for the brother. Like New Year resolution. People want to be clean. And then the travel industry, like that we're talking to, was like huge because there was like, like we came, I came across because I was back home. I don't, like I, I sleep very less. I worked in Olo, like, like there's a time that I spent 22 hours working in Olo. Like, like literally because you got to deal with all these Chinese and like, like, like Malaysia and like all these different, different Vietnams, all these offshore company. So I would like work like 22 hours. I go to a restaurant, come back, I sit. And then your, your job start 10, 11 o'clock at night because you're talking to all these people, right? So I recently, like, like not even recently, probably a week ago, the, the travel agencies are like reaching out to us. They want to figure it out, a safe way for people to travel. Like, like, and like those are the industry I never even thought of, right? Like, and then they see there's so many people that want to travel basically in 2020, they couldn't travel, right? So they, so these people are going to not make sure their tickets are not expiring. They want to travel next year. They're traveling with the kids. They want to be minimalistic because you want to go through all that. Be that. So, so these companies are reaching out and say, like, hey, listen, like, can we buy bulk from you? And this guy from, like, from out of New Jersey, listen, like, all I do is like supplying to colleges and, and supplying to um, like institution. Yeah. We, I want to buy a bulk. Like, I didn't even actually product here. So yeah. we were grateful like that. So it was a kind of a fun project turned into like serious and getting to like kind of like serious. Like like my wife handled a lot of these emails so that I can go to work. If anything important, they will call me. Because listen, honestly, I'm not passionate about sanitizer. I'm a, I'm a real cook. I'm a chef. I'm passionate about restaurant, but I'm passionate about solving a problem. That's all I care. Yeah, and like, when, uh, when Delta calls and says they want branded Olo bands <laughs> to give out to all their, exactly. everybody that flies Delta, you're that, passionate about that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so that's all. Like, I'm passionate about solving the problem. Yeah. It was all great. I had a great time. But things kind of got serious, put it that way. Are these being drop shipped somewhere? They, no, not yet. So okay. we, our first shipments is coming in uh, probably end of the month, right? Okay. That's our first, uh, you know, a few thousand units coming in. Because they have to get here. Which takes forever. forever. Yeah, it takes forever as you know it. You know, we are talking to like a, a Chinese and a Vietnamese company, so you're probably gonna figure out what is gonna be end up doing it. In the beginning, I'm so caught into Olo, I even did like figure out how to cut or create Olo out of like a used tires, right? <laughs> like figure out how to be more friendlier because I love eco-friendly product. That's what I want to support. But you know what? Whenever you come up with all these ideas and projects, they will never be all eco-friendly, yeah. you can't make those impact in the beginning. You gotta start somewhere, I realized that after like long conversation with these people. So we went with Silicon, we, we went with Offshore, we want to meet the, like the price point. So uh, now that things have got like kind of serious, we are talking to some of this area that we never even thought of that we're gonna be talking to, things are good so far. I can't really complain. I'm glad I tried it. I think it's kind of kept me, my brain, going for those two, three months that we closed. Mm -hmm. um, but it was, a, I would say that it was a challenging, interesting, but also like, like I learned a lot uh, being that 
problem solver and figuring it out and having fun and all that. So when, you, uh, when do we get to watch you on Shark Tank? <laughs> Shark Tank. So kind of funny. He's too like, smart to give away 20%, 40% of his business for a little bit of money. Just yeah, go to yeah. Mr. Wonderful. You get $1 until his money's paid go. back. Right, right. You know, <laughs> uh, I, think a, I think a Shark Tank, they don't necessarily take, they have like about 80,000 applications or something, like a ridiculous amount. It takes a lot. Yeah. Um, I started my just kind of introduction, everything on my like social media. People that buy that few hundred units, they all know me. Dairyland, Baldo guys, like my salesman, like people that know me, they buy it. Um, I, you know, like I, 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 for me, I think it's a, it says something people trust because right now I'm just selling the story. Uh, I have a product that tested, although the products still we can make it better and we're working on that. Um, but oh, I, I, my anxiety is like we really don't want to go into that like paid channels and. Huge. You will probably never see them until like the products really here. People test it. They're happy. It's working. And it's always great when your friends are supporting and they're buying things that you're doing. It's it's nice. It's a pat on the back. But you really get the fortification that you're doing something correct for the masses. When it's the people that don't know you that are actually purchasing the thing. And like you said, you said fifty percent of the people out there are seeing Facebook ads or something like that at that point. And, now you have a pixel to target that actual demographic right. Right. that is buying the fucking thing. So you can right. save some money on the long run by targeting the people that actually matter that are buying it. That's you know, correct, yeah. not saying that our friends don't matter or anything. Right, right. Uh, Justin laughed at me for a little bit and then he decided it was actually a pretty decent idea in the summertime when I would show up to work having to wear this mask all day while bartending uh, in Governor's Island. One of the kids was just like, what do you mean your breath smells? I've been drinking coffee all morning, dude. I haven't eaten. My breath is kicking under this mask. He goes, just stuff mint in there. It works. So I slapped some mint around. I threw it in my mask, and I was walking around with mint in my mask all day. And I was like, dude, we just invented the mask mint. <laughs> and I looked it up. Oh, that's and a I, cool idea. I, I mocked yeah. up the idea, and I mocked up something that would clip to the top of your mask that you could buy refill cartridges that would yeah. essentially make it smell like beautiful mint inside that's of your mask. That's very true. So, like, there call me go, when you want to go into business here on the mask mint, right? <laughs> I, did, I did laugh at him for a second. And I was like, all right. But, <laughs> but the struggles, though, and to highlight the struggles of doing such a thing is – there's a decay on how long that's going to work for. And you know how long it takes you to talk overseas to people and get things built and brought back over here. Mm -hmm. It's almost not reasonable unless you're very well connected into all the different uh, factories overseas yep. that could bring this thing to life fast enough and ultimately decide that you cannot get to market faster than we're going to be wearing masks. That's right. That's I mean, we're probably going to wear masks for, what, another year or so, God willing? Hopefully. Right. I actually, I think... Yeah, that's a whole other topic, but I think in our our industry, we'll be wearing masks a lot longer than like sure. everybody will. Like, I, you yeah. know, public, I don't think the public, public is going to be required to wear masks to come into a restaurant, but I I would bet it's more likely than not that the service employees would have to wear masks for uh, at least another year or two. You would never have thought that we'd never see the day where it was more important to be wearing a mask than not be seen scratching your ass while you're walking around the workplace. I don't think that's overcome. Yeah. That yet, so. Chef Mo, tell them where to find you and check out all these plates that you're putting together online. I know you say you're not part of the, the Instagram community and you're staying off of all that, but some of these guys are going to look up the restaurants and Absolutely. see what you guys are putting together yeah, over yeah. there. So they always can look up. Uh, I mean, I my um, my personal Instagram is Morgan Anthony. You probably, you probably see it. Uh, most of the time, I spend a decent amount of time in Fat Road, actually. 
Okay. Uh, that was one of the last locations that actually we kind of struggled and pivoted from Chipotle uh, style into like almost like a noodle bar. And uh, that's where I spent actually most of my time. Um, I have a chef and a lot of my chefs that came back to work in all the locations. So I'm kind of like grateful that I, I have a pretty good team. Then I spent in a place where like that actually needed me the most. So Fat Root, you know, like my handles are like Morgan Anthony. Probably they'll see randomly on a Olo band as well. But beside that, um, you know, um, I uh, I actually don't, you know, like I, I I usually pretty good about like 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 whenever people DM me asking questions. A lot of actually chef to be honest. When I did Olo band, a lot of chef actually email me. I got an idea. Can you help me out and so on? It's funny I how that them, works. I give them my personal, hey, listen, like, I don't really, on, on social media too much and checking all these messages, but like, That's I'm going to either. Yeah. So you want to come on the show? Say so here, text me. Right, 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 right. So text me or like, you know, like, but like not, email not me. you all. I'll text them. You, you guys. <laughs> yeah, right. So um, I give them my personal information. Like, you know, like I know like a bunch of guys reach out to me like, hey, I want to do this. I want to do that. Can you see where did you do like your... I don't like you know, like uh, like your branding and all that. And honestly, I never paid a dime to do any brandings. I worked with a chick from Romania. <laughs> I worked with a chick from Romania for like $75. And she's the one who came out with the Olo logo. So on. But what I say to her, like, listen, I'm going to take a picture of my wife drawing. I want to make sure that you incorporate that into the elements. And these girls sitting in Romania, and she worked out and actually she sent it to me. And you could find those information in a design called 99design.com. Probably you know it, you know, so which is a very popular site. Uh, people probably thought like we are all oh, like we are big and investment. No, like nothing. Like I don't have uh, investments. I don't have any marketing agency. Everything we do, like we do it ourselves. We don't have actual product. So we have to create a like CGI product to put it on there. So, so I'm going to be honest, like, 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 80% of the picture you see on Oloban, it's like a, a fake Photoshop, right? So it's a Oloban that we put the image on it. Just to visually to show you, the new photos are coming in. Uh, people kind of DM me like, oh, that's fake and this and that. But that's completely normal when you don't have a product in no. hand. And you every know single it. business does this. <laughs> people don't know that, right? Correct. People say, Everyone's oh. looking for the flaws in something. Exactly. Listen, this is the story. It's on the goddamn ship. It's going to be over here soon. We're going right. to throw it in the mail. You're going to have it in three days after we get it. And that's right. it. Right, right. So there was like different, like when people are kind of like, oh, like that's fake and this and that. I say, I get it. We, the, the page we had it was, so go back to that. I always are a big fan of startups. So we were working on, since 2015, we were working on these products, actually uh, making a noodle with 100% vegetables. So we deeply involved in the product and we worked all that, how to kind of bring the product to the market, just having like a healthy ramen but it's made 100% out of the vegetables. So we were working on all that and we created a page and product for that. So when, when, when pandemic hit, when we pivoted, we still put the products kind of like, put it on the side for right now. And we went all about, we changed the product uh, page information because we want to acquire as many as people right away. So we yeah. don't want to huh. waste. You have that audience built in already. So exactly. Yes. So yeah. the audience are built in already. And you pretty much sell. Anything. Everybody use sanitizer. So we don't have a specific target. You know, like, like I know that people say, like, oh, like, you guys have all these audiences. Like, we build, like, we had all these, like, since years ago, we had all these. But, like, listen, when you are, that's what I say to tell people. Like, when you're limited, you get creative. You know, like, 
when you have no choice, you kind of make a different choice. So not everything you see. So my goal is today to get to get a product and make sure it's functional and working. Do you see everything from from the Instagram? It's a real. I would say like no. Like the, a lot of pictures there. It's just to give you how they work. It's all computer generated images. But our real products are already we started to get posts actually two weeks ago, and we started to delete some of these. I understand it. Sometimes people are kind of get pissed and so on. But remember, in in our in in this entrepreneurship world, you have to start somewhere. You can't worry yeah. about like getting all this hundred percent correct. It same goes to like when I wanted to every every people buy the product, we try to channel the money. And I work with the lady. Her name is Michelle Adam. It's called On the Line, charity from Hastings. So we try to figure out like like kind of like giving back. So we take money from a Olo. We're channeling that money to all these like a restaurant workers family. So I found this lady online, Michelle Adams. She's working with us to create a food pantry program in a kind of a down county in, in pretty much in a Pleasantville, in Mount Kisco, whatever family that lost a job, where are the waiters and so on, right? And we found this young lady and we tried to figure out like how to channel some of this money. And it's not as easy because whenever you give free money away to the charity, you have to go through approval of, of all these committees and so on because they have to document all the money coming through their channel. So, you know, people always ask me like, hey, where are you guys paying? Where are you guys getting? I know that, you know, every $17.99 all of been sold, we're channeling some portion of money to this, right? So we're working in all this, but it's not all easy, you know, like it's not kind of a straight answer. Like I wanted to give it away, but like, like donations are like usually charity to say like listen we need to get approval from all this yeah to to channel your money properly you know so it's so it's all work in progress rightfully so cool. tell them what the website is for the olobands uh it's oloband.com boom there you Olo have it.com nooms guys don't forget to smash that like and subscribe button because you know algorithms <laughs>